Welcome to Dietitian Boss. I'm Libby Rothschild, your host and fellow dietitian. I'm a coach to my fellow female colleagues all around the world. I help you get leads and turn prospective clients into paying customers using online marketing and social media strategies that focus on sales. Welcome. I'm here today with Alex Turoff, MSRDCDNCPT. She's a registered dietitian nutritionist, NASM certified personal trainer and entrepreneur. She holds a bachelor's degree in media, culture, and communications and nutrition from New York University and a master's degree in clinical nutrition from New York University. Alex is the founder of Alex Turoff Nutrition, where she helps clients to manage their weight and heal their relationship with food through nutrition therapy. Her private practice is 100% virtual. She also offers courses, group programs, and in-person events. Alex's approach to nutrition and fitness is about finding balance. She teaches clients how to manage their weight while still enjoying a life of delicious foods, and food and drink by using a flexible dieting approach. You can find her on her website, alextaroffnutrition.com and on Instagram at alextaroff underscore RD. Did I leave anything out from this introduction, Alex? That was great. Thank you, Libby. I'm happy to have you. We are, uh, we are both alumni from NYU. So that's, that's nice. And I'm really happy to have you share your story. I know that that's going to inspire a lot of other dietitians today. So thank you for making time to, to be on, on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So happy to be here. Yeah, wonderful. So if you could just, for those of you listening who might not know who Alex is or you want to hear a little bit more background, can you talk about your journey and what has helped you create the business that you have today, the 100% virtual business that you have today? Sure. So... I started my career as an RD in private practice working for someone else. So I did jump straight from my RD into private practice. I skipped the clinical route, which I know is a topic of conversation you cover a lot. So for all of you out there who think you can't do that, you certainly can. But for me, I I did have a little bit of fear at that time. Although I knew I ultimately wanted to start my own business, I loved the idea of getting Um, experience without jumping feet first into business where I didn't necessarily know the ins and outs uh, at that time, taking insurance, if that was something I was going to be doing, and really running the business. So I felt confident that I could figure out how to coach clients, but I didn't feel confident that I knew how to actually set up a business and the legal stuff and the taxes and all that. So I started working at a private practice in New York City, and it was excellent. It was wonderful. I was there for two years. I probably would have stayed longer just because it was a really great job, and I was learning a lot and enjoyed it, but my husband is a physician, and he was going – he had just finished residency, and he matched to a fellowship in Alabama, so we – had to move from New York city to Alabama for a year. We knew we were going to be there for a year and both of us planned to come. We wanted to come back to New York. So thinking about the fact that we were really only going to be there for a year, I didn't want to start a new job somewhere that I knew I would be leaving, but I didn't feel a hundred percent ready to start my own business. I think that was some imposter syndrome. There was a lot of fear around there. Um, you know, financially, I was worried that what if I didn't make it work? So what I did for that year was 
I, I went on angel list. I don't know if that's a website that anyone has heard of, but I did have a media background. So I was, had my foot in the world of PR and writing and, and media. So AngelList is a, is a website for startups to connect with people who can work on a consulting basis. So I wound up getting a part-time consulting remote gig for an app that these guys in Silicon Valley were developing to, it was basically an AI for nutrition. So you were, the user would ask the app a question, like, here's my breakfast, how did I do? And they would get this artificial intelligence response back and I would be the one creating these canned responses. So it was great. I was able to do that part-time while I was in Alabama and it gave me that cushion knowing that I had this part-time income to build my business. So at that time I jumped into private practice. I love that story. And that must've been a really fun, like consulting position. That seems really cutting edge to have that experience under your belt as you're also growing your ritual business. Yeah, it was great. It was, you know, it was a couple hours a week. It was good money. It felt really in line with what I like to do. And it gave me the freedom to then figure out how to start my own thing. So I had clients that I had worked with in New York City that my former boss was very nice and said, anyone who wants to come with you, you're welcome to take them with you. I'm not going to, you know, stop that. So I did have some clients who stayed on with me, very few who stayed on with me at the get-go. So I had probably three or four clients. But the issue at that point was that my prior job was insurance-based. So anyone who was seeing me at my New York practice was was basically seeing me maybe for $10 for a copay. So I had at that point decided what I did learn was that I did not want to take insurance. I just, I wanted to, I knew I could make it work. I didn't want to get involved, get in the weeds with all of the paperwork. It's something I really don't like to do. So they, you know, I, I saw them at a reduced rate to start because I had no clients. So I basically started and I said, whatever people are willing to pay me, I'm going to take in, in a way as I built up my practice and as I got momentum, I continued to raise my prices and I continued to rework things. And, you know, I, I experimented with so many different ways of packaging my services. And now I'm at a point at a point where I'm doing it one way, but it was not like this from the start. I was seeing probably at one point I had 30 clients all paying me different prices. <laughs> so, and, and now, and I know we'll talk more about this, but even though you had people paying you at different prices, you were able to evolve to something that's a little more standardized with just a little bit of time, right? Sure. So I would say the timeline was about, okay, so from the start, I've now been in business for about two and a half years from the day I created my LLC. The first year, my goal was just to figure out and I, I didn't really have a business plan. I had nothing. So I just needed to take the steps of, of getting started. The only thing I knew was that I was going to show up on Instagram every single day and provide value. I love so that. That was the only plan that I definitively have is that I'm going to keep putting out my best tips, the best information I have, and really try to connect with people when I had a very small following. And, and from there, I was able to grow. When I first started reworking things, 
was when, I don't know why this never occurred to me before, hiring a coach <laughs> and a mentor. This was a couple months into business. I had a bunch of clients, but this sounds cool. I didn't really have directions. So at that point, I was just trying different things. I wound up setting up a course. I called it the 30 day slim down, which now looking back on it is not really in alignment with what, with my messaging, but it was a great way to just, it wasn't perfect, but I did it and I learned a lot from it. So gauge interest and then build it. Of course I wasn't, you know, wasn't fire festival. I didn't like have nothing, but I had a plan. And once I saw what the interest was each week, I would, I would tailor the course to what people wanted. And I started with a very minimally viable product. I sold it for $99. And I think I offered like $30 off if you bought on the webinar. I think on that first webinar, I I made $5,000 in sales, which at that time I was super excited about. It was more than I ever thought I could do on one day. And now I had that fire under me to build the course for 30 days. And I did. And each month that I launched it, I added to it and I sold it at a higher price. And then what I wound up doing was it with it was using all of this amazing information that I put together to just add value to my one-on-one clients, which also wound up saving me a lot of time for the, re- the repeated questions. You know, how do you use my fitness pal? Well, I have a series of modules for you to use so that you can learn how to do that. So it wound up being a win-win for me with that group kind of passive income. I say that in quotes because there's really nothing super passive about it when you're doing all that work in the beginning. It doesn't feel passive, but the idea is that I can have this offer outside of giving myself one-on-one to clients. So from there, I sort of pivoted from this package model where I was offering eight sessions in a package that people would stretch out over a year sometimes to a monthly, a monthly payment. And now I do require that people work with me for three months, but I actually want to, I'm planning to make that longer because the type of coaching that I do requires just a longer term commitment. But I think the biggest roadblock for me was just my mindset in doing that. This yeah. Time. Yeah. And thank you for sharing your, you know, your story and your evolution. Yeah. Uh, if you talk a little bit about your nutrition philosophy, like you've mentioned it before and your bio was really clear, if you could just walk us through what, what you feel about that. Yeah. So I, I call my approach flexible dieting. And I spoke with Libby about this and Libby, I'm working with her now to help me refine my message a little bit more because I realized that I'm not totally clear on who I'm talking to. And I think a big part of that came from fear of what other RDs would think if they saw me coaching people for weight loss was, did that mean that I wasn't, you know, I I was not body positive or that I thought that, you know, people need to lose weight to feel better about themselves because that's not what I feel. But I do know that for myself, I went through my own weight journey and I wish that I had someone who could teach me how to just teach me about food. Honestly, It, it wouldn't have even been about teach me how to count calories. It would have just been like, teach me that an apple and a piece of bread are the same thing, you know, at the end of the day, if I wanted to look at it like that, I would have taken a lot of fear out of it. So I'm big on education, nutrition education, as stripped down as we can possibly make it to help people get over a lot of the fears and the misinformation that they have about nutrition. 
but also to look at, you know, each client individually, there are some people who it may be appropriate for them to lose weight if they can do it in a healthy way. I think that we have to look at each person and each case really on an individual basis. There are some people who come to me wanting to lose weight and they're not really in a place to lose weight because their relationship with food is all over the place. And then at least I can work with them on that first and let them know that I can't guarantee weight loss right now, but I can guarantee that you're not losing weight right now and you feel like crap and you're guilty every day, I can help you with that. So, you know, I do work with weight management, but that's not all I do. A lot of, a lot of times people come for weight management and they wind up leaving with something totally different. Yeah. And speaking of how you strip it down and educate, which is, you know, your wonderful marketing on Instagram, how has that played a role and evolved? I know, you know, you show up and you're consistent. How has that helped you with your business goals of growing this 100% virtual practice? Sure. So in the beginning, if you scroll through my feed, you're going to see the pictures of the smoothie bowls and the avocado toast. And I don't know what, who I, how that was helping anyone. Maybe, maybe once in a while I would give someone an idea for breakfast, but no one was layering smoothie bowls really for breakfast as they're rushing out the door. So I went from, you know, posting things that I thought were pretty that I saw in all the other big accounts to posting things that I really would have needed at the time when I was losing weight. And a little bit of it, I mean, part of it, it was just being myself. I am a little bit sarcastic. And I think that comes across in my messaging because I'm kind of annoyed with the industry, <laughs> like the nutrition industry as in the wellness industry, especially on Instagram. So, and I think a lot of my clients are too. And that's why they do resonate with me is because they were, they are me and they can feel that. But, you know, it, I think what happens is they're like, wow, I today I posted an infographic about flour and it's not groundbreaking in any way, but people didn't understand the difference between almond flour and whole wheat flour. And they're like, wait, why am I eating almond flour crackers? Because this paleo blogger that I follow told me to, I actually don't know why. So if they see that there's actually a lot about nutrition that they don't know. And it's usually the people who think they know the most who really know the least because they're so confused. So I think it's just cutting through a lot of that and showing people that, you know, this is what you will learn if you were my client. But if this is what I'm giving away for free, imagine what I'm giving away if you pay me. Absolutely. I love that. And that is so true with marketing and you're doing a great job of showing that with your content and how you show up. And I love how your a uh, part of your personality uh, is showcased in your contents. And I do think that also in addition to educating them with their problems that you know that they're struggling with and that they resonate with and that's, you know, something that for sure is working, right? I think what I also like about what you do is your vulnerability and how you share the journey and you talk about, uh, you know, I know you've posted about your, is it um, Crohn's and things? Yeah. And so yeah. I, yeah. And I think that in addition to you being like sarcastic and trendy and, you know, demystifying information that people do really struggle with, like consumers really don't understand a lot of the stuff you talk about. So it's helpful. I like how you're also able to be vulnerable because I think that really um, resonates with people and, and helps them see you as a human being. Yeah. Uh, thank you for saying that. I did struggle with that. Um, so I have ulcerative colitis but I also struggle with anxiety and depression and I'm not ashamed of that. And I share that, 
but I remember I shared something about my depression and being on medication. And my mom said, whoa, why would you share that? Like, aren't your clients going to be turned off by that? I'm like, all of my clients are on medication. <laughs> you know, like they're, we're all struggling. We're all struggling. It doesn't make it easy for me because I'm a dietitian. Um, I have to work at this too. Like I have bad body image days just like the rest, but I've, I have all these tools and I'm, it's just like hiring a business coach. You don't want someone who's like 25,000 steps ahead of you. You want someone who's, who's been in your shoes and actually found a way to navigate out of it. And I think that's what I am for a lot of people. I'm not so far disconnected from them that they can't relate to me. Yeah. And that's really powerful because it's showing in your marketing. So I think you're setting a great example for being relatable and then also, you know, demystifying the things that people are genuinely confused about. So fusing those together is nice having that, that combination. Yeah. And I think with, with this, the content that I shared, I wanted to say is that another thing is like on a very practical level is looking at what people like so looking at your numbers and looking at your analytics and I think that's something I got from you even uh, many podcasts ago where you have to look at what people are resonating with and and part of that is where people are commenting what people are sending you messages about don't keep posting the pretty things because that's what you like you know you want to share things that are actually helping people and if people are sharing your content we have these analytics to help us for a reason if people are sharing it and they're saving it and they're commenting on it, then create more stuff like that because that's what people want to see and learn, learn about. Yeah, it sounds simple and it's amazing how many dietitians are not doing that. And it, it's, it can be misleading because you want to look at the big picture. So yes, you want to look at the numbers, but you also have to look at a, a combination of different things. You want to look mm-hmm. at website clicks, you want to look at sales. Uh, so it, there can be a few different ways that you can analyze your content, but it is very simple to just see what is resonating with people in form of your numbers and comments. Like what are people connecting with? And you have to be observant and listen to the words people say and read and, and look a little bit deeper than just at first glance to really know how, how you are um, impacting someone's life. Because we all are on social media. We, we really yeah. are. So it's important that we take it seriously. And, and I, it's, it shows through your, through your work that you do. Thank you. If you could describe a little bit about how you approach goals in your business and life. I know, you know, with your virtual practice, a lot of dietitians really want 100% virtual. And so they're going to listen to this and they're going to look up to you and they're going to want to know how does Alex do it? Mm-hmm. So my, like I said, my first year of business was, it didn't really set financial goals because I had no idea what was possible. So I was just like, let me do work as hard as I possibly can and see what happens. And that was just like, you know, the first year getting things started here. I didn't know that I should like set these. I, I, I had a month I, and I still struggle with money mindset. I think this is something that entrepreneurs probably struggle with on every level. I almost felt that maybe it was being selfish because I didn't go into business to become a millionaire. I went into business to make money so that I could feed my family, but to really serve people. So to me, if I was just making enough to like pay my bills, I was happy. But then I realized like, this is a business. So you do have to set financial goals. So I think setting quarterly goals and as your business grows, that's going to look different depending on how many offers you make. And something Libby has taught me a lot about is that you have to really look at 
ROI of what you're doing. So if you're doing something that maybe on, yes, it's making you money, but how much time are you putting into this? And how many people can you be helping if you pivot this a little bit? So, you know, every quarter, I think it's important to sit down and look at what were the income drivers in your business? You know, where are people finding you? So are they finding you from your podcast or from Instagram or from your website and focusing more on what is bringing people in? So the goals that I would, I would say that I would like to set at the beginning, I mean, looking at your different offers and thinking about how many people you need to bring in to the top of your funnel, basically, whatever that might be for you. Maybe if I'm doing a webinar, how many people do I need to have on that webinar to get me to my end goal? Um, so I could be focusing on the different parts of the funnel and knowing like where I need to level up there. So with goals, I, I like to just write them down. I mean, you have to write them down. You have to put them somewhere, whether that's on a piece of paper or in a journal or in Asana or whatever you use, get very clear on them and put numbers to them and put, you know, analytics to them. And yeah. Then with, yeah and the same thing with my life. I also set goals. Some of them are, are financial. So my husband is very good at, my husband is great. And I think for him, he was like, okay, we need to have the 401k set up by Q1. And then Q2, we're going to focus on life insurance. And so he's really good with, with that stuff. But I also set goals for myself of self-care stuff. So whether I want to, you know, how many books do I want to read? I'm very analytical. So a lot of my goals are numbers-based. So even if it's books, it's how many do I want to read? How many pages of something do I want to read? Fitness, whether that's, you know, how many workouts do I want to get per week or what kind of workouts do I want to be doing? So like spiritual faith goals, I'm not religious, but I do, you know, something was, I want to make sure that I'm, you know, either reading something that's going to level up my spirituality or making sure that I am listening to things, listening to certain podcasts or going to therapy for me. That is something that it could be spiritual in a way. So looking at the different parts, family, you know, making sure that I carve out time for that, because as your business grows, those are the things that fall to the wayside and they're really the most important things. So if I don't prioritize them and sounds bad scheduling them, you kind of have to, you have to make sure that you're setting aside time for those different parts of your life. So those to me are goals too. Yeah, that's very comprehensive. <laughs> <laughs> What keeps you accountable to these goals? Is it internal where you're just very good at it or is it external combination? I mean, I know you write them down, but how do you organize that? Or it's me both. I mean, I am, I'm definitely someone who's very internally motivated and I would say probably most entrepreneurs are, they have to be, but external, like I would never not have a coach. I would not, I would probably have multiple coaches at one time. I know you do that as well one person can't necessarily help you with everything. So, you know, right now it's Libby helping me with setting up this group coaching program, which has been amazing. So, you know, I always have someone, whether it's a therapist, making sure that you're following through on the life stuff you say you're going to. So I think that we all need someone else on our team, whoever that is for you. My husband helps me too, but it's definitely, it's internal, but a hundred percent, I think having some, someone like a coach or a mentor at the very least 
who can keep you accountable is important. Yeah. And I agree. I'm all obviously wildly biased, but I, I support everything you're saying. I think it's, uh, and it has made a huge difference. And I love how you're bringing in the therapy piece too, because there is a lot of uh, emotional, mental, uh, you know, issues that come up as well. So it's nice to have all the bases covered. Oh, for sure. Um, are you comfortable talking about what your financial goals are? Sure. I think we need to. Yeah, let's <laughs> do it. Um, so last year I netted about 210K and that was like, I would consider my first full year in like business. So this year we set a goal of about 350 to 400. And we've also, you've helped me map out how that's going to be possible because it's one thing to have a goal. It's another thing to, to see how it's going to happen so that you do have to believe that it's possible. It's just the same with our nutrition clients when they come to us and they say they want to lose weight, they don't believe that they can. It's never going to happen. Yeah. So whether the goals are, the goals should be realistic, they should be big enough to push you, but they should be, you know, I'm basing them off of what I did last year and, and what offers I have going. So yeah, so, so far, I can't believe that we're well into quarter one, but it looks good. It's amazing. Really inspiring. Multi six figure business owner, female business owner is really encouraging and inspiring for the listeners. And I just want to let everybody listening know that you can do it too. And, and make sure to be taking your notes. Uh, it's possible. And when we do talk about your offers and as you've evolved, when you map it out and you see how you can spend your time differently to make this type of money, can you maybe walk us through a little bit about either the process of creating your offer or how you are able to make that work, given yeah. that you're not just doing one-on-ones all day? Because I know some listeners are going to say, how? Like, how is that possible? Sure. So that's really where I'm at now is that I had been doing a lot of one-on-ones and yeah. that is not scalable unless you are going to be hiring other coaches underneath you, which is absolutely fine. And some people want that. And I, I'm not saying I won't because I very well might at some point hire someone to help me with that. But that is where the group coaching really has come in because I was doing email coaching, which was great, but Email coaching, unless you have a client who is just coming to you for macros, and that's not really what I do. I'm not, you know, I don't work with figure competitors, not that I can't, but I just don't really. People have more complicated things going on. So to cover it through email, sometimes can be more time consuming than getting on the phone. So the group coaching model allows me to work with more people with the same amount of time, but give them the same amount of value. So I'm really working to build that out a little bit. So the plan was in January, and this definitely scared me. So this is also, I don't know if I would have done this if Libby didn't push me to do this, but come out with this group coaching program that and you never feel totally ready. I think for anything that, you know, that's scary, but I launched this in February and I plan to run it for 12 weeks and launch another one, but it's going really well. And I absolutely love working with these people in a group. I love the energy of the group. So I'm launching it again in, in two weeks and I'm filling the spots for that. And I think right now my focus is going to be on these small group, group, you know, programs. And that's going to allow me as a solopreneur to create more, impact and also more income in the same amount of time. So using your time better 
is number one. And then delegating things that someone else can do. So I don't necessarily need to be the one writing my show notes, for example, of my podcast. Someone else can do that. I do right now feel that I need to be the one creating my Instagram content. I'm very connected to that. So that's something that I'm not ready to give up. But there are certainly things in my business, you know, taking people from my Facebook group that give me their email address and putting on my email list. Someone else can do that. So that's been super scary. Like, I'm not going to say it's easy. This is the number one thing I'm struggling with is delegating, but I'm doing it anyway. And that is buying more of my time back so I can work with my clients. And how does it feel? I appreciate you sharing that it's scary because it is. How does it feel to actually see the offer of the group happen and give you back time? And as you delegate, you, you are able to enjoy your, yourself more and be able to, I mean, really run a more scalable business. How does that feel? It's, it's amazing. And for me, I need to see something happen for my mindset to level up. So even raising my prices, I need to see enough people buy at that higher price to believe that it's real. So I did have that imposter syndrome of what if people don't want to be in the group because they don't think it's enough accountability or what if they don't want this offer? What if no one's in the group, but I, people wanted it and they're happy and they're loving it. So why wouldn't I want to launch it again? So I think like, you do have to sometimes see it. It could have been a complete flop and then I would have at least known that. (laughs) And also, I think for those of you listening, thinking, oh, I'll just create a group. I want to encourage you to remember that Alex has built her like audience. And so people are interested in what Alex has to sell. And I think that's a really important piece is that you have people who are engaged and because of that, because of your marketing, there you are able to take them where you guide them and you've chosen to, to take them to this group, which is more scalable versus entirely one-on-one. And so for you yeah. listening, it's not just as simple as I'll create a group. It's really focusing on the marketing and then deciding how the offer can align and help the, the client, of course, and also the bottom line of your own business so that you can both be happy because that's how you grow and scale your business is yeah. to meet the client's best interest, but to also make sure you as a business owner are fulfilled, right? Because if yeah. you're not working, then it's not going to work. Yeah. And I think there, there are steps to it. I, once I maxed out my one-on-one slots, then I knew it was time for a group. My one-on-one slots maxed out because my audience grew because my marketing was bringing them in. So it all is this cycle. I think the right step for me was to build the one-on-one stuff first. And, you know, it, it was, I, it, if people weren't signing up one-on-one, who's to say that they want, want to, would want to come to me in a group? So. And then also when you did work with them one-on-one, did you feel like you learned skills that were translatable for the group that gave you confidence in your ability to, to manage and facilitate in that capacity? Absolutely. I mean, it also helps you to see, I think, looking at creating multiple groups too, what kind of people would work well together in a group because I can tell on usually tell on the discovery call okay this person would be a better fit for this this group or that group and kind of knowing some people are not going to thrive in a group setting so knowing that too from working one-on-one knowing what their pain points are and what they're struggling with if I I I don't want to put them in a group if they're not going to succeed there that's not good for either one of us sure yeah and 
And when you're clear about that, which you are, it's again going to help the client because you're giving them something they're going to benefit from. And it's going to help you because you're setting up your business for success. Sure. There's nothing worse than an unhappy client. I mean, it doesn't feel good for anyone. You don't want to take someone's money and have them not be happy. So that's the worst feeling. I agree. And it's also the longevity of the business. So you always have to think about making decisions that are going to be good for you as a business owner representing your brand. And you you want to give people uh, something that they're going to benefit from to help support how you are helping people at large, right, at scale. If you could just talk to us a little bit about what the biggest challenge was with creating this offer and what you also found was uh, surprisingly easier than you had anticipated. Okay. So one thing I want to say is that all of this sounds great, too. And if I was listening, I would be like, wow, this is awesome you're going to work a lot. (laughs) Like I work a lot, but it's easy because I love it. It's also easy in a way is because the way that my husband and I, you know, if you're married or whatever your situation is, you have to make sure that you're not neglecting the rest of your life. So we've, we've basically made our life and, and have been able to structure our life in a way that allows me to really work a lot at one point and then take some time that just works for us. So, you know, the week that I launched the program, right after I launched the program and everyone was set and settled, we went away for a couple of days. And then I came back and I took care of everything. So I think, you know, looking at when your busy periods are going to be and making sure you're setting the time for them because time management becomes, that is your most precious resource is time. So you do have to make sure that you are not seeing, you know, I was struggling with seeing maybe 10 one-on-one clients and then trying to create this group program at the end of the day when you're, you're tired and you can't do that. So I think time, time is definitely something that I had to work on. The most difficult was just the fear of it not being successful, I think is really the most fearful because I love creating things. So that part is fun for me is actually setting up the modules and the content. That part is really fun for me. It's that fear that no one's going to want what you're selling (laughs) really. And the only way to get over that is to try it. And when they come, then you know that that fear is, is not valid. It's that simple, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I, I do want to go back and say, I love that you set these goals uh, with your husband or, you know, where you're mm-hmm. able to front load some of the work and then take some time and enjoy, because I would say that that's part of you giving yourself a deadline and allowing yourself to celebrate and, and have fun after you've been able to create content and do some of the hard work. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, you're really kind of anticipating and looking forward to enjoying the payoff of the, you know, all of the hard work that you've been able to do in the company. Yeah, because I can't. I can't have fun when I know there's work to be done. So it's hard for me to just, Oh, like don't check your emails. No, I can't. If I have people that need me. So having that clear delineation between work and some time for yourself is, is important for me. Important and hard to master. Yes. And I'm still (laughs) working on it. Sure. And um, if you could just walk us through a little bit about how you use Instagram to market and sell your, whether one-on-one group, like your services. Sure. So what I will say is for anyone who is struggling with imposter syndrome because they don't have a huge following, you don't need a huge following. You need an engaged following. And I 
I was able to build my one-on-one business with, you know, 700 followers of my friends and family at the time. So you will continue as your Instagram grows, you're going to have a bigger audience. That's great. But if no one's actually listening because you're posting pictures of pretty avocado toast, that's not going to translate into sales. So, you know, the number one advice that I could give you with in terms of making sure that these people on Instagram are going to be there forever is building an email list, I think is important. So taking them from Instagram and making sure that if God forbid Instagram went away, that you have a way to get in touch with these people. So that's something that's important. Um, I also think that it's a good way to get people who are, who really want to hear from you. So out of the 25,000 Instagram followers that I have, I don't have 25,000 clients. So there's a reason for that. But I do have a lot of people who message me all the time. And I do, especially in the beginning, I spent time going back and forth in my DMs with them and answering their questions and, you know, letting them know where to find me if they wanted more. So you do have to foster those connections, especially if you don't have a lot of clients, you have more time to do that. So interacting with people is important, I think is very important taking them off the platform in some way, if you can, whether that's a webinar, I did tons of Instagram lives where I would just do Q and A's and it would be casual, like a little fireside chat and we would talk and they would get to know my personality. And it would be the person who was on my webinar five times and didn't buy and on the fifth time they bought. So, you know, I think continuing to show up even when people aren't buying is important. Um, And then this is something I'm working on calls to action. I'm not good at that. But that is how I that is how I launched this group program was strictly through Instagram. I, I since it was the first group, I wanted to keep it smaller. So I said, you know, let me know if you're interested in this. And from there, I had a process to take them from Instagram to set up a discovery call and follow up with them. So however you're going to be interacting, you have to kind of have a plan for how you're going to be taking them to the next step of your funnel, so to speak whatever that might be. And for me, it's been mostly organic in that I spent a lot of time doing, I was in Alabama, loved Alabama, but I had time to, to interact with people and, um, and they wound up becoming clients. So I think spend a lot of time, talk to people, be yourself, take them off the platform, give them a way to work. People didn't know that I was a coach. You have to tell people what you do sometimes too. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I'm uh, yes to the calls to action as well. Mm-hmm. And you did fill the group, right? You filled your group program. Yes, I filled okay. the group program. Want to make sure starting to fill the second one. Amazing. Just want to make sure we're giving you all the credit that's due for yes. uh, the mate. Because um, a lot of, you know, obviously the listeners are thinking, some are struggling with imposter syndrome, thinking, how can I sell from Instagram? And you've given really great advice about building the know, like, and trust building relationships, showing up, even if you're not selling and, and what that, and then taking them off the platform. I agree with you building your email list so that you have a a way to, um, then you can nurture them in another area. Um, but I think the most important part of what you said is for you to really build the know, like, and trust. And it sometimes can happen immediately where you make sales and sometimes it can take a little while, Mm -hmm. but you have to show up. You do. Yeah. You have to show up. And then I would argue calls to action are extremely important. Because if you don't tell people what to do, they, they really don't know. They yeah. don't know what to do. So you've you got to direct them. Yeah, showing the product in some way, whatever that might be, whether it's your clients. I struggle with that. 
So I don't, I don't love showing my clients because I feel sometimes that I'm invading their privacy. We're working on that. <laughs> but what you can show, and I think what people loved is when I would show like, oh, here's me building a meal plan. And they're like, whoa, that would be cool to have a pretty plan like that. Or this is us on our group call. This is what we do in my program. These are my client wins. So you kind of have to let people know that you know, people want to know what they're buying. So you can do yeah. it in whatever way feels natural to you, but you got to do that. Well, they, they want to know what they're buying and they also want to know what the outcome is that mm-hmm. you're selling. So I would argue that, that the outcome and calls to action are definitely also important. For sure. All right. As we wrap up here, a couple questions about money because I just can't get enough of talking about money, mm-hmm. especially for a um, multi six-figure earner such as yourself. What has been some of your, you've kind of already talked about it, but I just want to make sure we're not missing anything. What are some of you have been your biggest fears around charging more or charging a higher price point for your services? The fear that people would think I was charging too much and how could, how could I had a problem with age? I thought my age, because when I started, so I'm 29 now, so I started at 27. How could someone who's 29, who's working from home, that's another thing, working virtually. For some reason, I felt that people wouldn't respect that the same way. But they, but you have to remember if you could be changing these people's lives and what is that worth? Um, and I think for me, that one of the biggest ways I got through that was investing in myself and seeing how much I got from working with a coach who can help me. And we, we have to remember that although this stuff comes natural to us, nutrition comes more naturally to us, it doesn't to our clients. So what we are giving them, although it, we would give it away, it's free for us, but it, the amount that we're giving them is, is huge. And I think that's important to remember is that like, yeah, just because you can do something easily doesn't mean that it's not worth paying for. Um, and that's really big. So yeah. Absolutely. And then um, I guess this is, you've already said it, but I just want to close with it. What advice would you give to other dietitians listening who think that they can't charge more or they're doing um, yeah, free work for too long or at all? So I did. I mean, I did a lot of kind of stuff for free in the beginning. I think I needed to, to get the experience. And even if you're thinking about working one-on-one coaching or working with brands, there's going to be probably a period of time where you do have to give away some of your stuff for free, but there's also a line. (laughs) And when you're feeling taken advantage of, that's not a good client and business relationship anyway. So, so you don't want to feel taken advantage of. I think that not, I, I think what you have to see is there are other RDs doing it. There are RDs like myself and like my friends and like Libby and there are so many RDs out there that are doing it. So there's no reason why you can't do it either. And that's what you have to get over in order to do that. Like you're going to have to get over that feeling that you can't do it and just do it, unfortunately. So yeah, I think that you do have to do work. You do have to do some work on your mindset. I think that you have to see that other people are doing it and also realize that it's okay that it's going to take a little time. It's yeah. not going to happen overnight. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And I love the, the whole role modeling piece that other dietitians are doing it. And you are a representation and role model for that to inspire dietitians to overcome their mindset issues so that they too can break free or break through some of their belief systems that are holding them back from 
charging at all, charging their worth and showing up consistently because that is hard for so many dietitians. And we all know that showing up consistently is what's going to help you relate with your audience and solve their problems, even if it takes a minute for it to get more clear. Yeah. And once it picks up, it it does snowball from there because more clients tell their friends. And and so it, it might be slow to start, but once you do get momentum, it does pick up a little bit more quickly. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's another uh, nice thing, piece of advice uh, to give the listeners. Is there any final thoughts you want to leave us with today? You've shared such helpful information. I know the listeners are going to love this episode. No, I think that if you're waiting for the right time, there's not going to be a right time. So just start with the smallest step. It'd be exactly what we would tell our clients who are scared to go work out. You would say, go walk for 10 minutes. Go just do that because they, you know, once they walk and it feels really good, then they're going to walk for 15 minutes and then they're going to lift weights. And it's the same thing. So start with whatever, getting your LLC, if that's where you're at, or just setting up a MailChimp account or whatever you're using, take that first step and just do it. So I think that that would be probably something that I think we'll all always struggle with is just like, thinking about the decision too much. Sometimes you just have to do it. And I think that's the biggest thing. Really powerful. Thank you so much. And if you could just remind everybody where to follow you on Instagram before we hop off. Yep. So it's just Alex, A-L-I-X, Turoff underscore R-D. And feel free to DM me and connect. I love meeting other RDs. Wonderful. Thank you for listening. The next step to continue pursuing your journey includes applying to my next group program. You can find that on my website under group coaching and apply. You can also grab my free workbook, also listed on my website and go through the exercises so that you can get more clear with your marketing plan, which is going to help you get one step closer to creating the money and impact that you deserve.